Hey, Khalil here. I want to just say welcome to the table once again. Uh, this is a podcast all about faith in the midst of uncertainty and life and navigating this world. Really, we just love plumbing the depths of the Christian faith. All that there is, there's so much to our faith, and getting to explore different topics and ideas to help us grow as better followers of Jesus is something we love to do. And Sean, we have we have a lot today, some really cool stuff and cool people. Yeah, so we have in studio he's going to be in studio for a couple of different episodes jeff gowing mr jeff gowing why don't you tell us Hi, a little bit about yourself <laughs> jeff you know where you're uh from where you're serving who you are so our listeners know yeah thanks sean and Cleo for having me on today uh i'm a youth pastor in oregon in florence oregon on the oregon coast and i've been there six years and been in youth ministry for about 10 i've been married to my wife jenny for eight years and then we have a three-year-old daughter named laney Yes, awesome. I love it. And we also have a guest, Mr. David Hurtwick. Uh, talk about longevity. That's that's uh, that's cool, man. Six years for Jeff Gowan there. And Hurtwick, you have uh, you've done some really cool things in your career in your in your recent past. Where where are you at right now? How long have you been there? And uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. What's one thing that our listeners need to know about you? Hmm. Yeah, thanks guys for having me on. You know, longevity-wise, I think God's planted me in a specific community for a long period of time. My mm-hmm. roles have changed in that same community. I was a youth pastor. Uh, I'm in upstate New York, specifically a suburb of Syracuse called Liverpool. People always want to know our proximity to New York City because that's all anybody <laughs> thinks about uh, when they think of New York if they're not here. Yeah. We're a good four-hour drive uh, before we hit the edge of New York City. And so I served for about 12 years as a youth pastor uh, in an assemblies church here in Liverpool, worked with my dad, who was the lead pastor. And then uh, I served for seven years as director of youth in Kyalfa Ministries for a network of churches here in New York. And... Um, the network offices happened to be in the same town as the church. So I didn't have to relocate. And uh, just a couple years ago, I left that position to go back to the same church, the church my dad started and that I was a youth pastor at. And I've been the lead pastor there for about two and a half years now. So not a lot of longevity in this new role, (laughs) but um, a lot of longevity in this community. And I guess, um, you know, I live in Liverpool, New York. And when we were, when I was a youth pastor, we took missions trips to England because there was a young man who grew up in my youth group and he ended up in England as a pastor, uh, where he was originally from. And so we went over to do to partner with his church in Beaconsfield, England, about 30 to 40 minutes outside of London. And our first time we were there, we came back and realized we need to learn more about English Premier League soccer because Amen. that's all the kids really talk about. Amen. And they're all wearing jerseys. So when we went back, part of our missions trip preparation involved everybody had to choose a favorite team and watch games and long story short i chose a team called liverpool because that's where i live in liverpool i was like i won't forget my team uh never in my wildest imaginations did i think i would become the sort of fan that i am to this day and uh this was 10 years ago and now it's my favorite sport they're my favorite team and so i guess one thing your listeners should know about me is that i love liverpool football club and they're going to lift that trophy uh, as soon as they let them play again this season at the time at the at the time of our recording right now they are at the top right of the uh or have they um yeah they're at the top of the oh they are yeah yeah they pretty much have it wrapped up it's a bit of form it's a bit of a formality but they do need (laughs) to play a few more games to make it mathematically theirs you know yeah yeah because i mean they're like 20 points ahead or something of man city i think i look but anyway, I'm a little bit of a, a football nut too as well. 
Uh, it's cool. Thanks for being being on here, man. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And You're no stranger to Oregon. Yeah. So. No, visiting a while back, and we got a Sean and I got to be a part of a youth conference that our network does that you were at, and um, that was the first time that I learned who David Hurtwick was, and I think they gave us your book, Good Kids, Big Events, and Matching T-Shirts, and that mm-hmm. was the first um, time yeah. that I read that book. It's a great book. If, if so- someone's listening to this in, is in a student ministry context or in ministry context in general, right. so great because what I really took away was just a refocusing on what matters most. You know, it's not yeah. about the flash or the flare or what things look like, but really are we producing disciples and are we growing in our dependence on God and in really gospel fluency. So I would maybe just ask too, I think gospel fluency is something you've been a voice of for a while. What's, why has that been so important to you? And maybe what is gospel fluency? Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. Maybe it's easy for me, or maybe it'd be helpful for me to start by just talking about the gospel for a second. Uh, Fluency is, you know, when somebody's fluent in a language, they think in it. It doesn't, it it comes natural to them. Um, uh, They speak it regularly and they speak it easily, right? So gospel fluency is simply the ability to speak the gospel with consistency and confidence to yourself and to others. And into every situation, right? Not limiting the gospel's uh, application to just, you know, the Monday night of camp sermon, but realizing that the gospel is necessary for every stage of the spiritual life. And so, so the fluency in it is the ability to speak it. The gospel itself, you know, there's a lot of ways you can define the gospel. I, I like to start with just highlighting that the gospel is good news, right? It's good news, not good advice. It's not about what we are supposed to do primarily. It's about what Christ has done for us. And if you get that part wrong, then everything else is wrong. So the right. gospel is good news, and specifically it's good news about what God has done to rescue humanity and renew creation in and through the uh, person and work of Jesus on our behalf. So I know it's a, it's a mouthful, but uh, yeah. ultimately the gospel is that God did for us in Jesus what we could never have done for ourselves right. in any of our efforts. And so it means so much to me personally because, you know, I was a 25-year-old youth pastor before I think I really understood the gospel. And I had this like remarkable season where I looked back at my life and I was a pastor's kid and I grew up keeping all the rules, but everything I did up until that moment was motivated by self-preservation or self-justification, the desire to protect myself or prove myself. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't behaving because I love Jesus or my heart had been captured by Mm -hmm. Jesus. I was behaving because I thought it was the best way to protect myself from hell, to protect myself from disappointing my parents, to protect myself from being left behind, uh, or, or to prove what a good Christian I am. Right. So, um, by God's grace, he opened my eyes to realize I didn't really understand the gospel. I I hadn't really appropriated it to my life in a way that was changing me in in a uniquely Christian manner. Hmm. And so that's what it, that's what it means so much to me. And then also it's brought me through some really difficult seasons since then, that I'm pretty sure I would have fallen apart in if I hadn't had that, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, the gospel awakening or sort of a gospel clarity moment. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, you know, uh, it's inevitable that we as humans will run into things that are uncomfortable. And so in historically in America, the foundation of our faith has been the scriptures, has been has been the, the holy scriptures and the gospel. But in recent years, 
the average American, they have very little knowledge of the gospel, actually what it is, the scriptures are. How do you think we've arrived at this place in our culture? Um, what has taken place? Maybe some in, events or what do you, what, where do you, how do you think we've arrived here? Yeah, that's a big question, and I'm sure there's some big answers to it that I'm not the most educated person to speak to as far as trends in culture and developments in education and society. I, I can speak to two aspects of it, I think, with some confidence. I think it, it starts in the home, and then it's and then it, you got to look in the homes, and then you got to look in the pulpit. Mm, I think those are good. two places to look. There's sort of a well-documented breakdown in even the definition of family and the stability of family and the priorities of family. And while there's probably some good things to be said for the way cultural Christianity has been exposed, there's definitely um, some ways in which the overall biblical literacy of our country has suffered because of it. So there's good there because cultural Christianity has no power to save you or change you, but there's also bad there because now because the cultural Christianity is fading, especially where you guys are and where I am in yeah. the Northeast, maybe not so much in the Bible Belt or the middle of the, or, you know, or the South, because of that, I think there's a, um, it's not even that people are antagonistic against scripture. Of course there are some, they're all, they're all on Twitter, by the way. But, um, <laughs> it's, it's more, it's more that they're apathetic. Like mm, it's, yeah. it has as much, they think it deserves as much as their credible attention as a fairy tale, you know, um, they just it, it doesn't have any relevance right so so the home is a big part of it and then even in Christian homes there's been a lot of outsourcing of discipling of your children to Christian schools to to um, to Sunday school classes to youth groups and there's sort of like relinquishing of the primary role of the parent which is to be the disciple maker right and some of that is because of the access of uh, because of the access and the access to resourcing again good things but potentially with bad um, results. The pulpit, though, I think is probably where I'm most concerned, because I think there's been a few movements in the history of our country as it relates to what is being preached. You know, to name a few, you had a a seeker-sensitive movement, which probably had a good um, motivation to reach people and and to consider the unbeliever in our midst, which Paul tells us to do in Corinthians. So I'm all for that, but maybe a maybe a sort of a dumbing down of the gospel, you know, and also just using scripture as a prop in the message, not really coming out of scripture, but just using scripture as a, you know, just sort of a side thing. So I think that's an issue. I think the how to type of preaching, how to be a better dad, self-improvement, that, that really sort of creates a lack of understanding of how to read the scriptures properly. You know, the Bible is not a how to book primarily. And then just some, Streams maybe of Pentecostalism and charismatic that have seen the word in some ways as secondary to what they call the spirit and the priority becomes an experience or a feeling. So I think you have three very distinct uh, streams there, seeker sensitive, the how to preaching, the mystical experience chasing. You could also add into that legalism, which has never gone anywhere. Um, And I think all of those four types of things coming from the pulpit have caused people to both be biblically illiterate, but even those who do read their Bible, they don't see the gospel in it. They don't mm. know how to see Jesus in the passages. They only see it as either self-improvement or something they're not doing good enough. 
or mm-hmm. some sort of secret code they got to crack to figure out what the spirit is saying. So, something, uh, this idea of cultural Christianity, uh, according to a Barna study, 46% of Americans claim that they have a, a biblical worldview, but when they really mm-hmm. dove into that, they saw uh, less than one in 10 actually thought and acted according to a biblical worldview. So that's interesting. It kind of makes me wonder what people think they're saying when they say they have a biblical worldview. But it also, yeah, and other research showed that, I think it was Lifeway said, Americans are very, they like the Bible or they're fond of the Bible. They're just not reading it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was kind kind of funny, kind of a slam a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking maybe we could, what is, and I'm curious, I would love Jeff to ask some questions here too. I want to let him get in here, but what, can we define cultural Christianity a little bit more? Yeah, I can tell you what I think of. I don't know if this is the correct or this is a thorough enough definition, but I think cultural Christianity is something where you inherit sort of the practices of a faith and the rhythms of a faith and maybe the sort of structure of faith, but it's not making any real, it's not really forming you in a very heart, at a heart level. And it's not challenging the things that culture is presenting as truth either. It's not, it's not seeing scripture as um, something that has the power to challenge even the things we've accepted as cultural norms for years. So I I think of, you know, I, I heard of a pastor in the South who cannot say at the end of his sermon if you're not a christian here we want to because everyone who shows up thinks they're a christian Mm. because they're in church you know Mm -hmm. he has to be more specific than that i mean i read a book a couple years ago it was very popular called hillbilly elegy which was a guy writing his memoirs of growing up in the rust belt rust belt in ohio and as he described his family which was highly dysfunctional and none of us would really identify them as having a faith that represents biblical faith it became interesting because it became obvious that if somebody were to have pulled them on the phone for political purposes they would have pulled evangelical his family yeah. like without a doubt because in some parts of the country you're catholic you're 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 atheist you're muslim or you're evangelical mm. and there's no there's nothing else right mm. and so i think cultural christianity and again this is just my understanding of it i'm no expert on this conversation but cultural christianity is and it reminds me of the scripture you know no pop you know you have the what is that verse you have the appearance of it but there's no there's no actual power in it mm-hmm. um i think that's that's what i think of people who uh, vote a certain way and they think that makes them christian or who live relatively moral put together lives mm. and they think that makes them christian and you know it's just a it's just an expression of the culture that they're in it's not a personal thing that's good mm, thanks that's really good yeah thanks for that definition in the woes of of preachers f- failing to preach the gospel from the pulpit i know like for all of us here we we would fall in the pentecostal tribe yeah. And so how how do we present the Holy Spirit um, to our church, which we believe mm. the Holy Spirit is the transforming church or is the transforming power of the gospel to form our hearts, to direct us towards Jesus and all of that. So how how do we reintroduce or introduce for the first time a, a, a gospel connected Holy Spirit? Yeah, I love that question. And I think it's a really important one for our for our fellowship, right? Yeah. You know, we can be accused in some cases, rightly so, of an, of, um, well, maybe not rightly so. I'll, I'll just back it up. We can be accused mm-hmm. of an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. 
I don't think the solution is to talk less about the Holy Spirit. I think the solution is to talk more about the Holy Spirit, but to talk more broadly and more deeply about the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So sometimes in mm-hmm. a Pentecostal stream of evangelicalism, the focus of the Holy Spirit and all the conversation around the Holy Spirit tends to get very narrow, right? Very specific to the ways in which we believe the Holy Spirit manifests his presence when we gather in ways that make us distinct from the rest of our evangelical Protestant brothers and sisters. We got to be careful because at some point we have to wrestle with the question, why do our distinctions matter so much to us? And who are we actually distinct from? Because our distinctions can become idols um, as far as feeling superior to people who just read Mm. scripture differently than us. So there's got to be some graciousness there. And that's a fruit of the gospel, of course. The gospel will make you very humble and gracious towards people who don't agree with you. And so, uh, but to answer your question, I mean, in your question, you sort of were answering it. You were talking about speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. So first off, teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force that we get our hands on to wield, but the, the God who gets his hands on us. The Holy Spirit is involved in so much more than just the baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, that sort of stuff. The Holy Spirit is involved in creation. The Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation. You know, it's the Spirit that seeks us out in our lostness, that draws our hearts to the Father. It's the Spirit that breathes life into us, regenerating us. It's the Spirit that seals us for the day of redemption. We're sanctified in the Spirit. And so there's no growth really apart from the Holy Spirit. But I grew up in a world where, like, if you didn't like crazy, you you weren't sure about the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> And so I think we need to, in some ways, not not uh, we need to make sure we continue to deify, lift up the the deity of Holy Spirit while demystifying some of His works. And uh, I like to tell people like you can't love Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Right. You can't know you're lost without the Holy Spirit. Right. You can't you can't love your neighbor. You can't be patient in traffic. Like you can't be kind to your children. You can't be a good husband without the Holy Spirit. So stop thinking the Holy Spirit's the creep that shows up at the altar time at camp that makes people do weird things. Like, he's yeah. so much more than that, right? And so I would really encourage, like, focus on what the Holy Spirit does and teach regularly on the work of the Holy Spirit in mission, salvation, sanctification, things like that. And then also learn to publicly thank the Holy Spirit in times of prayer for things that he's, for things that he's doing. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing Jesus to our hearts, you know, which is his primary purpose, by the way, is Mm -hmm. to reveal Jesus to our hearts. And his secondary purpose is to form us into the image of Jesus. And and then all the other things he he does are very important also, of course. I'm not saying they're not important, but we do need to remember that the Spirit, Jesus sent the Spirit so that he could be in the believers, indwelling us for sanctification and mission. That's so good. I was just processing a little bit. You said a really cool one-liner that I don't want us to pass by, that we need to be careful of deifying our distinctions. And I think that's so, so important because when it comes to gospel fluency, a lot of times it can be it can be our distinctions or the things that we find that we can de- deify within the gospel at the expense of the whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so... Can you talk to us a little bit about how we can maybe not necessarily avoid, but be careful of and aware of our own preferences within gospel fluency that in turn can isolate 
the 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 other beauty the the other beautiful things about the gospel and and almost we we can almost reject the, a different facet so uh if that makes sense um how can we be careful to to not deify our preferences at the expense of um other facets of the gospel yeah i, I think i understand a couple thoughts on that i think uh well, first off as i as i as God helped me become what I would call more gospel fluent. It's the lens at which I look at scripture. It's the lens through which I teach scripture, seeing Jesus as the hero of every story, you know, moving beyond moralism to here's what you should do to here's why you never do it. Cause the gospel doesn't, isn't the gospel is good news, but it also reveals the really bad news first, which is <laughs> the depravity of the human heart and our complete inability to save ourselves apart from Christ, right? God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so as I began to kind of move to that, it radically changed the way I looked at scripture and the way I taught, like dramatic difference in my teaching to the point where I realized, like, I felt like every sermon exists to lift up the work of Christ Hmm. and so that we can adore him and be changed in worshiping him. And so, but here's what happens. And I've seen this happen with a lot of New York youth pastors because I I was a DYD, uh, or I don't know if that term means anything to all your listeners, but I was a youth director uh, for, you know, over 350 churches in New York lots of youth pastors that I was training. And so we had this real like influx of gospel fluency conversation because I was like just pounding it, pounding it Mm -hmm. and guys were getting it. But as they were getting it, they were starting to get like really frustrated with their senior pastors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who, who they didn't think were gospel fluent and candidly maybe weren't right. Mm -hmm. Who were preaching moralism and, and, and and legalism and, and mysticism and stuff like that. And I always, you know, I went through that season, by the way, myself, of course. And uh, I, I've, I, here's what I learned: literally anything can become an idol. Right. Even your grasp on the gospel yeah. can become an idol. That's and good. the second you start using something to try to establish your value and worth, other than what Jesus accomplished for us, you're in that you're risk, you're starting to slip into that idolatry territory. So that's also true with distinctives, whether mm-hmm. it's your pneumatology. Your soteriology, you know, what you believe about the Holy Spirit, what you believe about how God saves us. Your eschatology, what you believe about end times, ecclesiology, what you believe about the church. Uh, the, the Christian community is all over the board on that, all over the board. Yeah. And so it, it's a major lack of humility and lack of historical awareness to be too, too doctrinaire on some of this stuff. I think there has to be a graciousness about the way we talk about it. So if you're a Calvinist, I think there, I think you have to have the graciousness to say, this is how I interpret scripture. This is what I think God does. And it helps me love him and adore him. And, uh, but if some, but, but I have our many, but, it, but you should have Arminian friends who say, well, I actually read it in the sense that like, there's a human responsibility here. There's something that it's not a work we do, but there's a response that we have to mm-hmm. the grace. Of, right. I'm taking one specific example. But if, if, right. if you're not a listener, if you're not a learner, and if you're not gracious towards people who differ from you, then it does it is a red flag that you're resting your identity and you're you're finding your value and worth in something other than the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's very dangerous because people can lose their way in ministry. And uh, people you can get into ministry, I know this, and years in something can happen that exposes the fact that you never actually understood the gospel mm-hmm. and you never actually loved Jesus most. You loved ministry most. And ministry gives us 
if we're successful, especially, it gives us power and platform mm-hmm. and people that we can control and that respect us. And, that, and of course, nowadays with celebrity guys, like mm-hmm. celebrity pastors like this, mm-hmm. it, and uh, my gosh, like, I think it's Keller who says, you know, it's the difference between seeing Jesus as useful versus seeing him as beautiful. And Man, I think yeah. there's people, not just in our churches, but in our pulpits, who Jesus is useful to get what their hearts truly find beautiful. Power, control, respect, um, superiority. But he's not most beautiful. And if Jesus is most beautiful, then you're gonna you're not going to be a jerk. <laughs> right. Although I've, I've been a jerk at times, for sure. You're not going to be as much of a jerk. You're going to become less of a jerk about things that are not as central as the gospel. Yeah. And I, man, that's so good. Uh, I think it's appropriate to have our listeners rewind a minute and a half and listen to that again. Because what I do is I think about even my own self and how often I find my importance in the ministry that I lead. And that is at a volunteer level. That is at a, that is at a student uh, leader level. That's at a third, fourth, fifth grader who has responsibility and how easy it is, though the work might be good. We are viewing it and utilizing it to feed our own ego. Sometimes not even knowing, uh, not even realizing it. Hence the Holy spirit needs to reveal these things to us. That yes. is so good, yes. man. Because there's that is that is yeah. a it's a great segue. I mean that is why we need the spirit because we can't see into our own hearts. Mm-hmm. We need the word, we need the spirit, we need the community of saints. Yeah. We need people who are speaking into us. And I think that right. uh you know the COVID nineteen season had a really profound way of exposing some of these heart idols and ministers because yeah, guys that got all their identity from hearing the amens come back to them are now preaching to empty rooms right. and guys who got all their identity from being at everybody's house and hugging and shaking hands and being that sort of, you know, kumbaya, bring everybody together. They couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And guys that are performers and get things done and keep the building moving and the programs running, they couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And so now they're just left with like, what, who am I, right? And when you slow, nobody slows down because nobody wants to be stuck with that question. Everybody wants to stay busy and distracted. Yeah. And COVID-19 was a gift in that way um, as far as causing us to think more about why we do what we do. Right. I even think of the volunteers, you know, we because we've said ministry, not just from a ministry leader, but from a volunteer or a congregant level, we can find we find affirmation in serving and you do it, you do a good job or you work hard and you get accolade even as a servant. And so it's really easy to subtly fall into, you can, you can please man in church um, and not realize we're doing it and think we're doing yeah. it to the glory of yeah. God and miss, uh, miss the personal relationship in there. So I think that's, that's a great reminder. Can I, let me give one practical thing on that. Cause that's a great, oh, that's a great thought. I realized that was happening with students when I was in youth ministry. You know, things like Speed the Light, Bible Quiz, Fine Arts, they would get on stage and everybody would clap for them. I still wanted to honor what they had done, but I was realizing I don't want to feed their idols. And so I just shifted my language a little bit. Instead of saying, hey, look at Joey. He's amazing. He loves Jesus so much. He raised $3,000. Come on, everybody clap for Joey. We need more Joeys out there, which is probably, you know, it's fine. But um, instead, I began to say, let's celebrate what God's doing in Joey's heart. God's making Joey generous because God is generous. And the spirit is revealing the generosity of Jesus to Joey's heart to make him. Now, I don't actually know if that's what's happening in Joey's heart, (laughs) what's happening in teenagers' hearts, but I'm publicly communicating. This is what real gospel change looks like. It's not outside in, it's inside out. Right. 
So I just wanted to bring up a thought or, or ask you a question on this. Uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about scripture and the gospel. And you mentioned just briefly, you were kind of running through it, but the community, how, how do we encourage and exhort the gospel in community? Hmm. I mean, that's a broad question. So take it however, but just on a, on a more outside of a service point at a friendship level, how do we do that? Or what yeah. are some things? Well, you know, the gospel informs our message, right? Our method, how we do things, but ultimately our mission. And I think community, community comes along with mission. Community can be a bit of a false target, right? So if you aim for community alone, you can lose mission because you can get people to gather on things other than Jesus' mission. But if you aim for a mission, community comes along because you can't do mission alone. And people living on mission won't go alone ultimately because the spirit won't let them. And so I think, uh, you know, to speak a, a couple quick thoughts to this topic of community, um, I, I think it's important to remember that God's plan in Scripture, the meta narrative of Scripture, is not that God is saving individuals to get them to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. It's that God is forming a people to give the earth a glimpse of heaven in the way that they live treat each other and treat others. It's a very different way of looking at things. And so I think it's important to challenge one of the biggest social values right now in our country is individualism, right? right. And so I, I, self, self-actualization, self-expressions, I think the church has to challenge that, and I think the Bible gives you the tools to do so by just reminding people, hey, in the New Testament, like none of these writers, Peter, Paul, John, none of them would have understood an ice. None of them would have had a framework for understanding a Christian on it, on his or her own. Right. Isolated Christians are dead Christians. And 99% of the time in the New Testament, when you see the word you, it's it's the third person. It's, you know, in the South, it'd be y'all. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's not it's, it's not you alone. It's all of you together. Think of every metaphor, the body of Christ, living stones built in together all these things communicate life together not separate from each other so i think the gospel as it brings us closer to the father it brings us closer to one another because he's forming a people for his purposes and i think you know that's a big part of the gospel too there is a there is a there is a danger in gospel preaching which becomes just about you getting your ticket punched to get to heaven and it's a terribly narrow view of what God wants for us. He wants to restore our image. He wants us to be his people. He wants us to be the royal priest that he created us to be in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He wants us to do good work, uh, whether it's in the pulpit or whether it's in a classroom or whether you're taking out trash or whether you're gardening. Like, that stuff matters. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is so much broader than just if you pray these pr- this prayer, you can know you'll go to heaven. Thank God for that. That's not all of it, though. Right. Yeah. So good. Man, that's great. Thank. Thanks, David. I I keep seeing a little bit in this conversation a lot of you know what we're wanting to do is move God and His Holy Spirit outside of just the the building and into our world, into our everyday life. And so you know as we're we're taking all of this theology, all of this thought about God, and and trying to make it practical for the everyday follower of Jesus, I'm thinking maybe someone is listening to this and. You know, their behavior has looked right, but it's not been out of 
this love of God, it's almost been out of a, a desire to fit in, right? And mm-hmm. and so they've, they've behaved right, or they've grown up in a family that said they were Christian. So they think that they are a Christian, but they would fall into the statistics of people not actually living uh, living out Scripture. I think the opposite of cultural Christianity, as we painted here, is gospel fluency and this mm-hmm. truly, truly beholding God. I, um, so what would what are some practical ways, what are some practical thoughts you would have for just the everyday listener, teenager, middle-aged, or senior to just grow in their gospel fluency or their truly beholding and loving of God in that way? Yeah. Well, st- you know, I think um, for me, some of the most formative things were some, some books that God used to help me understand this better. So if somebody really wanted to better understand the gospel, and there's a lot of great ones out there, a lot of great ones. I'll mention a couple, though. Prodigal God by Tim Keller, where he teaches from Luke 15, the story of the two sons, was really formative because I'm an elder brother. Like, if you know the story, I'm an older brother. And I didn't see the story for what it was until I really heard him teach it. And he was informed by guys before him, too. He didn't come up with that interpretation. But that was super helpful for me. Um, another book. book that was really formative for helping me to know how to apply the gospel to my life in a way that shapes me and changes me is a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. He's a guy out of the U.K., and in it, he talks about the four G's, God is great, God is glorious, God is good, God is gracious. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how we can overcome sinful habits and negative emotions through the gospel, which most Christians don't know how to use the gospel on themselves mm-hmm. um, to, help to, to, to challenge and strengthen their own hearts. And then as far as like what you can do every day, I recommend the daily devotional New Morning Mercies mm-hmm. by Paul David Tripp. I would recommend if you have kids, get the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And, you know, Tim Keller also has devotionals through Psalms and Proverbs. I know uh, you were saying that you're going through Psalms right now. I don't know if you're using his book or not. But um, so for me, now I'm a reader, so that works for me. Hmm. Not everybody's a reader. So some of you, maybe audiobook or, or go listen to some YouTube talks by Keller on Prodigal God or something. But I think at some point you got to hear the gospel preached in a way. You, you'll know you're hearing the gospel correctly if it's challenging both irreligious and religious people. If the gospel you're hearing is only challenging a specific political party or only challenging immoral uh, people out there, the bad people out there, you're yeah. not really, you're hearing a very American gospel, right? So the gospel should both should both make you uncomfortable and comfortable <laughs> at yeah. the same time. Right. That's, that's awesome, man. That's great. Any, is there any last words or any last thing you would just want to say? to encourage someone on gospel fluency as we wrap up. This has all been really, really great. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? And who is he to you? And are you still in awe that you know, I preached, I recorded some sermons this morning for our church because we're still meeting online because I don't know when you're going to air this, but we're recording this still during all like the COVID shutdown stuff. And uh, I'm, we started a new series called Union, where we're talking about uh, what it means to be in Christ. And I just, I didn't lose it, but I started to feel it in the middle of recording this sermon in an empty room, where I, where I was emphasizing this point. Don't forget that Christ chose to unite himself to us. Like, read the, look, watch the news right now. Huh. Look around our country, and then look in your own heart. 
at the sin and the shame and the, the racism, the bigotry, the injustices, the selfishness, the history of it. It's not new in America. It was. It's every empire, every country has always been racked by these things. And then look at your own insecurities and sense of inadequacy, all that sin, all that shame, all that mess. I can't even watch. We all turn away at some point because we can't take it in anymore so much. Jesus Christ chose to unite himself to that so that he could become our sin and rescue us and save us. And I mean, when you begin to realize that, then your act of uniting yourself to Christ is not a chore. (laughs) You're not giving anything up. It's not a burden. It's the only response that makes any sense. And until the gospel still sounds like it's too good to be true to you, (laughs) you're probably not really hearing it for what it is. And so don't give up on Jesus just because you've had a counterfeit experience with him. Keep looking for yourself. He is the best. You know, he is, he's better than anything else you've been looking to. Man, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think this is a discussion that should not be done alone. Maybe bring someone in and say, what can we do to grow gospel fluent together? David said it, an isolated or an alone Christian is a dead Christian. So invite someone in the conversation. And until next time, keep growing.